3: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. I'm your host Ben Carson. And you know, we've talked a lot about the importance of the family, and uh, the family has rightly been called the foundation of society, but we know the family is under attack. And we've discussed that many times in this show. And uh, we're going to be diving in depth into some of the things that are going on with families particularly in the state of Maryland, my two guests have been doing important research on the family in the state of Maryland. Jeff Trembath is the founder of a new institute, the Maryland Family Institute, and Dr. David Ayers is the sociologist and researcher behind the Maryland Family Institute's report called The State of the Maryland Family. So Jeff and David, thank you so much for devoting so much time and effort to this important topic and for being with us today. Thank you, I Dr. Want to, yeah, thanks I want for to having start, us on. Absolutely. I want to start by asking you, Jeff, uh, you've had an extensive career in public policy, faith leadership and development. You've worked in conservative organizations. You served in President George W. Bush's uh, administration. Can you tell us a little more about your background and, and what made you so passionate about the family and uh, you know why the Maryland Family Institute was founded and what kind of issues will it address?
0: Well, uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Carson for having us on today and and I just want to thank you for your personal endorsement of this effort. Uh, I remember talking with you about 18 months ago about this idea, uh, and you were an early adopter. Uh, after we talked, you were all in, and so uh, I'm just grateful for your uh, endorsement, your uh, vote of confidence in this work. Uh, for me, I was uh, raised in a faith based home. Uh, uh, Christianity and our relationship with Jesus was always at the center. Uh, and uh, was always uh, uh, sensitive to issues of the family. Uh, I lost my father when I was six years old. And so uh, even though losing a father to death is very different than losing a father to divorce or uh, to out-of-wedlock childbearing, uh, it, it heightened a sense in my own life about the importance of family. And then as I graduated from college, I started working more on these issues. So uh, I helped found the National Fatherhood Initiative, which is an organization uh, that was started by some folks that uh, I know, Dr. Carson, you've been involved with back in the 1990s. Uh, back then, Al Gore, <laughs> uh, the vice president under uh, President Clinton, was very supportive of that work. Um, and uh, I worked for the Pennsylvania Family Institute and then worked on faith-based and family issues. Uh, with the Bush administration, as you mentioned. So I've had a passion for the family uh, my whole uh, career after college. Um, And so a couple of years ago, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Michael Gere, who is the president of the Pennsylvania Family Institute, uh, he was born and raised in Maryland, uh, went to the University of Maryland, and has always had a heart uh, for the free state, uh, came to me and uh, we had a wonderful breakfast, Thanksgiving 2021, and we were talking about big issues. And he just uh, asked me at the end of that breakfast, Jeff, have you ever considered starting a family policy council in the state of Maryland? And of course I had not uh, considered that. We, we, we love Maryland. Our, all three of our kids were born uh, in Annapolis. And, uh, and so for the last two years, uh, I've been talking with people, sharing the vision, meeting with as many Marylanders as I can um, to uh, to see if there was support, and so a couple of months ago, thanks to your endorsement, Dr. Carson, and the generosity of uh, some key families across the state, we decided to launch uh, the Maryland Family Institute. Uh, our our vision is a Maryland where God is honored, life is cherished, families flourish, and religious liberty thrives.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And we're going to do that by engaging and equipping God's people to advance faith, family, and freedom in Maryland's capital, church, and culture. A big vision uh, for a place like Maryland that we can talk about some of the challenges that exist, but that's what we're all about.
3: Well, that that takes some real courage. Uh, We appreciate the fact that you're doing that. Uh, David, I want to ask you, as a sociologist, a professor, a researcher, a prolific author. You know, you've been involved in pro-family and and pro-marriage movements, published important books and research on marriage and the family. What made you interested in this kind of research on marriage and the family, and how did you get involved with the Maryland Family Institute?
4: Well, my background's, uh, I guess, a little bit different than Jeff's. I I grew up in we were overseas for part of my childhood, but I grew up first in PG County and then in Montgomery County, Maryland. Large family. And I got, you know, a lot of the bad stuff was hitting us. My, my graduation year for high school was 1974. And a lot of the bad stuff was hitting us in Montgomery County, literally by the time I was in junior high school. And I got swept up in a lot of the worst of it. And um, as a young adult, I came to Christ, you know, uh and, very dramatic conversion after, I'd say, what's best a pretty delinquent and troubled childhood, um, at least, you know, starting with junior high and high school. And so I, I was focused really on psychology and working with youth heavily. And when my wife and I got married and moved back to the D.C. area from Pennsylvania in 1982, and accidentally ended up in a church that was loaded with, with kind of um, relocating political folks coming in as part of the Reagan Revolution in, in 1982, senatorial aides, and we had a congressman in our church. And, and I hadn't really thought about that. I was supposed to start graduate work in psychology at American University. You know, I was still very heavily kind of in, interested in things like physiological psychology and clinical. Uh, types of intervention. And more and more, I began to see that that what we really needed to do was look at the larger scale social trends and movements that had undermined the family because it just seemed to all go back to that. There were very few kids that I work with in placement, just as now I'm a trustee at George Junior Republic, a very large uh, institute for delinquent males in Pennsylvania, and um, there's almost none of them that are really coming from stable two-parent homes. It just seemed to be, you know, such an overwhelming factor. And so I shifted to sociology, not really knowing how liberal it was actually, <laughs> um, and um, decided to focus on that area and, and did some stuff with the pro life movement, um, with the Reagan campaign in 1984 and others. And that kind of got me started in this. I've always in sociology had to kind of work around the edges. So, for example, when I, when I, Started at New York University, they asked me what I wanted to focus on. I said marriage and family. They said, "We don't do that anymore. We do gender studies." Would wow. you like to do that? I said, "Not really, no. <laughs> So, <laughs> because I knew what that meant, it meant feminist studies, and, and so um, I, I, I focused more on things like social movements and deviance. Uh, but then always, you know, pursued, you know, at the heart of it, uh, family, and I've been teaching. College courses on marriage and family since about 1987. And so that's been a particular passion of mine. And um, I still believe that it is the necessary factor that has to be dealt with for most of our major social problems to be settled. It's not the only factor, but it is a necessary factor. And it's the one that everybody seems to want to ignore. So um, I, I don't get a lot of pats on the back in sociology for this, uh, but, but I am finding that. And in terms of coming to the Maryland Family Institute, Jeff and I had worked together when he was director of what was then called the Center for Vision and Values at Grove City College. Uh, we had a great working relationship and I grew to respect him enormously. Uh, I've also right. been, been aware of and connected with Michael Gere for, for a number of years. And so when I found out about the MFI getting started you know, I wanted to be involved in any way that I possibly could. And the fact that it's in a blue state and fighting an uphill battle, to me, that just makes it more interesting. You know, that, that makes it more of a challenge and more exciting. So that, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from here.
3: Well, Jeff, why are you specifically focusing on Maryland? Obviously, there are some significant issues going on here.
0: Well, a couple of reasons why Maryland is, uh, is important and why we're focused there. Uh, I mentioned the personal connection that we have, that uh, all three of my kids were born there. We have several of our closest friends uh, in Maryland. And so we just have a real personal heart for the state to do this work. But more importantly uh, than what I think, um, uh, Maryland, I think, has an outsized influence uh, on our country. Uh, Mm -hmm. Not only its proximity to Washington, D.C., and to the governing elites of our country, but also its proximity to New York City. It's a short uh, you know, two and a half hour train ride from Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is really uh, an influentially placed state, and so if we can make even a marginal difference in Maryland in terms of the commitment to the family and and sort of reorienting the state, I think that will have significant leverage across the country. Right. Uh, so it's it's really a it's really a leverage play in terms yes. of this kind of involvement. Um, well, we're, we're not undertaking this. Yeah, I'm sorry, doctor.
3: No, I was just going to say, why is it important to ground your efforts in Christian principles? Do you, do you only work with Christians?
0: Uh, we do ground our, our efforts in Christian principles. We're a Christian organization, but we don't only work with Christians. Absolutely not. We understand that uh, uh, there are people of all kinds of faiths and no faith at all in Maryland. And mm-hmm. Um, And so we want to work with anybody who shares any part of our mission. So if you are a pro-life Democrat, or if you are a pro-parental rights uh, uh, socialist, we'll work with you uh, on whatever issue that is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just yesterday, I spent an hour on the phone with a leading rabbi from the Orthodox Jewish community. And we're going to be working very closely with that community on a lot of different issues. So We think it's important to ground our work in Christianity because it's important to have philosophical commitment behind Mm -hmm. all of the things that we stand for. Uh, So that's important for us, but we we hold to those things in a broadly pluralistic environment like Maryland.
3: And of course, uh, God was the author of the family (laughs) and uh, certainly had a very good uh, model for us. Your organization's mission is to protect life uh, promote marriage, preserve religious liberty, and protect parental rights. Those are all things that are under attack right now. It's, it's a really big lift. So how are you approaching such a huge mission?
0: Well, I think we're approaching it uh, with eyes wide open. Uh, we understand that in Maryland, uh, it is a very blue state. Uh, in terms of the numbers, it's two to one a Democrat registration over Republican registration. It's veto-proof majorities in both houses of the legislature. Uh, it's having a newly elected, uh, albeit telegenic and well-spoken, but radical leftist governor uh, who seems to have met an, uh, uh, never met an abortion or a transgender surgery that he didn't love. Uh, so we understand the conditions on the ground uh, in Maryland. Nevertheless, uh, we think it's important to engage. And so how are we thinking about this task? The first step, we think, is to educate. It's amazing to me, uh, Dr. Carson, how many uh, people I talk with uh, on a daily basis as I've shared the vision with this organization. Conservatives, Christians, or conservative people of one stripe or another who are simply unaware of what is going on in the state government. It, it, It shouldn't surprise me, but it does. Uh, The reason it shouldn't surprise me is because, as you know, Doctor, when you were practicing medicine at Hopkins, uh, you were a busy person. (laughs) You you had a clinical schedule that you were doing, you were teaching, you were involved in your church, you were raising your own kids and being an involved father. Uh, And maybe every April 15th, you were reminded of your obligation to the state uh, (laughs) when you paid your taxes. But that was about it. those times for conservatives to, to sort of see government as a mild annoyance are over. Uh, and that's because of the increasing radicalism of the left. They've taken the fight to us. We have not taken the fight to them. And so just I think the first step is educating folks about what's actually going on. What are the pieces of legislation that are actually under consideration in Annapolis? That's the first thing. And then secondly, how can you pray about what's going on, pray for your elected leaders in Annapolis. How can you uh, engage uh, effectively, whether that's writing letters to the editor, whether that's coming to Annapolis to testify, whether that's talking with your state delegate or your state senator about these issues, whether it's getting your church involved and inviting us to come and talk in your church. There are so many different ways that we can become engaged in these issues. And so that's sort of the second uh, step is to, is to uh, uh, become engaged in the process. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I think the way we think about this is a long-term project. We realize that to turn a state like Maryland, even marginally in the right direction, is a multi-year project. And so we have to be thinking about projects and, and initiatives with a five and 10 and 20-year uh, timeframe. Um, and we've got some things uh, as we're thinking about this that we're, we're planning to do. But that, that's how we're approaching the task.
3: Wonderful. Well, before we go into our first break, I, I want to ask both of you, um, why is it important to back up these values you're talking about with actual research?
4: If you're using good facts, and it's really important to present them, too, in ways that people can really understand, You know, not bury everything in these complex statistical models, but really put the basic things out there. Uh, in a way that's sound and stands up to to scrutiny from the best scholars, but is understandable to people. Because that should be a common reference point. In a sense, then, you have things out there that nobody can really disagree with. You know, this is what the violent crime rate is. Uh, This is how much it's associated with the proportion of, of couples in that county that are married. You know, this is what these things are. And then we can all argue about causes and how to interpret that. But you have things on the table that simply cannot be uh, talked around, and these are things that matter. Nobody can really argue that how many high school kids are failing or using hard drugs or having sex mm-hmm. at the age of 13 doesn't matter. We all know that that matters. And, and at least it create, it puts something out there on the table and says, we can differ about what these mean and how to deal with it, but let's agree that these are real and that these are problems. And, and, and in a way that's really understandable to folks. I think it's vital. And,
0: and to so- the extent that we do that, I'll make the theological point, which is good research backs up what we know from the scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, Dr. Carson, God invented the family. Right. And we see that as we do that good research, that's what it shows. When we form families the way God has called us to form them in his word, good things happen. When we don't, them as the way God tells us to uh, bad things happen. That's what the data shows.
3: Absolutely. Well, we need to take a short break, but we'll have more with Jeff Trimbath and David Ayers. And we're going to dive into their report and the findings about the state of the Maryland family. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: Sleeping Dogs now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie dot slash wondery.
3: Well, welcome back. We're having a great discussion with Jeff Trimbath and David Ayers about the Maryland Family Institute. The Institute released a new report entitled The State of the Maryland Family. And Jeff, uh, tell us a little bit about why you decided to commission this report.
0: Well, we decided to commission this report because we wanted to see what things were like on the ground in Maryland. And so this is a 24-county deep dive uh, on family formation as correlated with a variety of social pathologies. And Dr. Ayers can talk about the details of that. But the, the big finding is that there is, in fact, a connection between how families are formed and the prevalence of these various social pathologies, whether it's poverty or crime or educational decline or drug use or whatever. That's the big takeaway. Um, right. Like we said before the break, when we form families the way God intends us to form them, good things happen. And when we don't, bad things happen. Uh, So we commissioned this report not only to show that connection, but really as a case statement for why we exist at the Maryland Family Institute. We Mm -hmm. wanted a fresh articulation uh, about the importance of family uh, to children, uh, the importance of family to communities, and the importance of family to the general well-being of all Marylanders, whether those are Marylanders of faith or Marylanders of no faith at all, uh, that's what this report shows, and that's that's why we decided to commission it.
3: That's fantastic. David, what about a little bit of background on the research and the methods you used in this report?
4: Well, I I accessed as much as I could the most unimpeachable resources that we had. I heavily relied on the uh, U.S. Census' five-year estimates, which give you a really accurate read and could be broken down. Mm-hmm. Actually, can be broken down to the zip code level and neighborhood level, but we kept it at the county level, which is manageable. Right. Uh, also, data, for example, from the FBI Uniform Crime Report, from the Youth Risk Behavioral Surveillance Studies, uh, from a major mental health organization doing literally millions of survey and data collection points uh, in Maryland. Basically, tried to stick to things that everybody agrees are really high quality resources. And, and build the report around those things. And so it was very kind of massive undertaking. You know, you start with this huge you know, pile and then boil it down to the essentials as best as you can, which I, I hope will actually be somewhat of a model and a template for, for other states to be able to follow in the future or for MFI to be able to update in the future as well. It kind of lays the groundwork that we can build on and learn from and improve.
3: Well, I very much appreciate the fact that you use standardized data uh, that all of us accept as legitimate that really eliminates a lot of the uh, criticisms that frequently come up with these kind of studies. Now, uh, Jeff, the report talks about tried and true but by many reviled success sequence of finishing school, getting a job, and getting married before having children. I believe uh, that was first put forth by the Brookings Institute after a huge study on poverty. How does the research in Maryland align with the success sequence?
0: It validates what the Brookings research claimed on a national level for a state level in Maryland. And so we see this connection all across the state, whether it's uh, Garrett County in the west, uh, Wycomico County uh, at the southern end of the eastern shore, um, that truth, whether children have success uh, by finishing high school, getting a job, and getting married, is borne out by the data. And mm-hmm. interestingly, it also bears that out uh, in, in the face of other variables that were constantly talked about in the popular narrative as, as the most important barriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest one is race, for example, Uh, We're constantly told that if you are uh, an African-American or uh, some other person of color, that the deck is stacked against you in a systematic way. Mm -hmm. And and we know from this report that if you are are, uh, an African-American who comes from a two-parent married family, you have just as much chance of success as any other person who comes from a married two-parent family. That's the key Mm -hmm. factor. Uh, That that sort of uh, predicts success.
3: Right. Isn't it interesting that uh, people of color from places like Nigeria and Ghana, there's no wealth gap? And if you know those families, you know, their baseline is a bachelor's degree, and there's heavy emphasis (laughs) on family. And uh, that has nothing to do with the (laughs) skin.
0: Dr. Carson, you could not be more right, and we have lots of Ghanaian and Nigerian families in Maryland, uh, many of them in Prince George's and Montgomery counties, and and they, they are living that truth, uh, exactly what you said. You go visit them in their communities as I have, and it's absolutely
3: true. Yeah, I, I, I just I wish some, some information. Yes, well, I just
4: presented some information in my sociology class yesterday, uh, last day of class. We compared people from India, you know, naturalized American citizens from India with white Americans. Uh, People from India double the median household income of white Americans. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the statistics, you will find that folks from India do not get divorced and do not have children out of wedlock. And they pursue education as a major priority. And um, for some reason, race does not appear to be a barrier for them.
3: You're absolutely right about that because one of my sons is married to a young woman who was born in (laughs) India and and their family bears that out very well. Yeah, that's
4: exactly right.
3: (laughs) Well, David, the first section of the report talks about marriage statistics in Maryland as compared to the United States as a whole. What does the research show about the state? of marriage and family in the state of Maryland?
4: Well, first of all, in terms of the state as a whole, it tracks the national averages very closely. Uh, sometimes a little bit better, but not much, which actually should kind of surprise us because Maryland is so prosperous um, and certainly sits on a very large sea of stable capital coming in through directly and indirectly through through so many people involved with the federal government, You know, which basically right creates a kind of an island of prosperity, oftentimes in even the worst economic times nationally. So that actually should surprise us. But what we also see is that when you look at it the county level, when you get outside, you know, the wealthier counties, especially in the Baltimore Washington corridor, which has gotten wider over time as, as we all know, right? Mm-hmm. As 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 places like D C and so forth have spread effectively as metropolitan areas, the differences are staggering. And, you know, there's a huge portion of the landmass of Maryland. And it's not, you know, we, there's a huge focus on Baltimore City, which is very troubled. You know, that's clear. But a lot of the rural counties are really suffering. And the level of family breakdown in these rural counties, both in western Maryland and also in southern Maryland and in the, uh, and in the Atlantic portions of the state, uh, is just oftentimes staggering. And yeah. so, in a sense, people that visit Maryland get a particular impression of it, kind of like that is not really accurate in terms of what's happening in much of the state. And in many yeah. of these areas, uh, it's clear that these are also very neglected areas. They don't have the political clout. They don't have the votes. They don't have the cash. And right. um, I think that's, that's really well worth noting, which also kind of sets aside because many of these rural counties, you know, Jeff was talking about race, are pre- predominantly, you know, white. And yet, you know, they're really struggling. And we, we try to really make that clear. This, you know, what this report is about is who's doing well and who's not. And a lot of Maryland is not doing
3: well right now. That's for sure. Now, the research mentions that the marriage advantages and the non-marriage disadvantages for income and poverty rates are so stark that you would expect more public attention. Why, why is there not more public attention to this? <laughs> and That's pretty dramatic, either one of you.
4: I'd be willing to give it a quick shot, and then Jeff may have some thoughts too. I, mean, I know he does, actually, but it is politically inconvenient. When you start getting close to 4 out of 10 children being born out of wedlock, when you have skyrocketing cohabitation rates, when you have divorce as high as we have, Uh, it gets harder and harder to speak out on this because there's huge constituencies of people that rather than seeing you know the real care and kindness and even love that that's kind of built into expressing those concerns what they they feel like is they're being personally attacked and everything about our culture seems to be designed to make them hypersensitive to any any indication that we care about you We, we know that you're working very hard that you're doing the best job you can but you're in a very difficult position. The outcomes are not going to be as good, and it would have been better if you'd never gotten into this situation in the first place. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we'd like to help you where you are, but we'd also like to help other people not follow where you are. And I think that ends up getting lost. So I think a lot of politicians know that they're going to be punished for this. That They're really afraid to take it on. And, and, you know, it's a legitimate fear. Um, And they're... Mm -hmm. We're not going to see the Washington Post and the Baltimore Sun applauding them for having the courage to speak the truth about marriage mm-hmm. and, and the need to bolster marriage in the state of Maryland. They're going to be flayed. And so um, everybody's really gunshy Meanwhile, the situation just continues to get worse and worse.
0: I would answer the question, Dr. Carson, by by echoing everything that Dr. Ayers just said, but also by summarizing it and saying what this report shows and the and the solution to it are the hard things. It's, a, it's not an easy thing uh, to get married in a culture that says you don't need to be married. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing to stay married in a culture that mocks uh, marital commitment, in a culture that is increasingly becoming more secularized, less mm-hmm. and less religious, the rise of the nuns that we've been reading about in sociological data. Uh, so it's the hard thing. It's much easier to just throw a bunch of money at all of the effects of the fam- of family breakdown mm-hmm. than it is to get at the core issue to say, uh, let's talk about that success sequence. Let's connect you with your religious tradition right. that values lifelong commitment between a man and a woman as you create the next generation of Marylanders. That's a very hard thing to do. And we just don't want to do hard things in our culture today.
3: That seems to be the case. In- and then we have enormous pressure from Hollywood and from social media, uh, to move in a direction that's completely opposite of traditional nuclear family. And it makes it very easy for people to justify their lifestyles. And I don't, I don't know if there's really much we can do about that except be willing to stand up as you two are and state what the obviously are because a lot of people they know what you're saying they know it makes sense they're familiar with the data but they would much prefer stand in the corner and stare at the floor than possibly get canceled and <laughs> there's no courage that seems to be the problem but uh David, well that's re-
0: exactly that's exactly right Yes, uh, doctor, I was just going to say, I think in addition to advocating for policy change, it's very powerful to do what you and Candy have done, uh, which is maintain a commitment and a high profile commitment to family. And this is one area that I actually want to praise our governor, Governor Moore. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the best thing I can say about him and his first year in being in office is that he is married to the mother of his children. Yeah. And you can tell that he loves his wife. He loves his kids. And this is a critical example for him to be setting as our governor.
3: Absolutely. I agree 100 percent. David, the report suggests a connection between children and two parent families and lower rates of sadness and suicidal ideation. It's non-conclusive, but can you talk a little more about this possible connection?
4: Well, I mean, we're really talking right now about a crisis of mental health among young people. E- even here at Grove City College, our mental health services continue to expand year by year. And most of the classes that I teach, I have students that are seriously struggling. Uh, some of them talk to me, some of them don't the degree to which the children's mental health is directly connected to to the stability uh, in their home. You know, you can have two parents that love you, but if they're separated by 2,000 miles and one of them only sees the kids a few times a year, um, you can have all the love in the world, you can have all the good intentions of the world, but you can't fool that kid into thinking that they're experiencing the kind of warmth and, and, and daily support Uh, The the time that you can invest and be involved in your kids is so much greater when you share the load. But, you know, I have six kids. I can't tell you how often, even now as a grandparent, by the way, my wife turns to me and says, Dave, I want you to look after your health. I don't want to do this alone. And, Mm -hmm. you know, of course she doesn't. You know, when did we decide that fathers didn't matter? You know, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. Um, The other thing is, of course, the children are more successful in all kinds of other ways when they have both the financial and the time support of two married parents. You know, a household that's just far much easier to run, even though it's still challenging. Um, And that success then breeds mental health as well. When when you feel that you're accomplishing your goals, when you feel like you're moving towards your goals, that you're succeeding in school, that you're able to, to, to be successful in the things that you're passionate about, you're happier. You know, but it's easy. That's simply easier uh, for children in homes where they have two parents. And 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 the other thing is the what we know overwhelmingly, and this is why cohabitation doesn't work either. The instability kills kids. You know, constantly being bounced around. I mean, I was hard for me growing up in a home that kind of functioned almost like a military family. But at right. least I you almost had the same a bad example there. too. Yeah. Yeah, at least I had my parents there for every single move. But they're going, what we don't realize is that these kids are caught up in a serial, serial pattern of instability. Their parents break up, let's say, when they're five. Then mom typically lives with somebody before she marries that person. That may go through two or three cycles before she gets married again. So oftentimes, these kids are reaching the age of 17 or 18, having gone through three, four, five breakups and transitions, each one that moves them farther away uh, from their right. parents. The J.D. Vance's book, Hillbilly Elegy, is a very, very eloquent kind of biography of a young man that went through precisely that. And ultimately, yes. the Marines and religion uh, kind of helped to dramatically turn his life around, but he was basically caught up uh, Andrew Churlin at Johns Hopkins, one of the foremost family sociologists in the country, calls it the marriage go round. And he says, right. we don't appreciate the extent to which the kids are not being subject to a divorce. They're subject to a series of insta- instable home situations.
3: Boy, I tell you, you have really hit the nail on the head there. Um, but Jeff, uh, you know, in addition to all these emotional issues, uh, Baltimore has been in the news recently for some troubling educational statistics uh, related to reading and math proficiency. But your research identified other counties that are struggling as well. Can you talk about some of the school's scores in Baltimore and other Maryland schools? They're pretty horrible.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate you pointing this out, Doctor. That this is a report that does not pick on Baltimore. I know a lot of these kind of social reports in Maryland love to do that. Right. And uh, and as Doctor Ayers said, uh, you know, there, certainly Baltimore has its problems. But but as you pointed out, uh, these are issues that trans, transgress any particular location in the state, and and particularly in education uh, achievement. And we see here you know, that when, when kids come from homes, stable homes, their educational achievement uh, is better than when they don't. And, and so, uh, so we, we think part of the answer to this uh, is giving parents uh, an increasing level of control over mm-hmm. the kinds of education that they're able to provide for their kids, and certainly that includes school choice. We have a very modest school choice program in Maryland called the Brute Boost Program. That's about $10 million. One of our legislative priorities for the upcoming session is to preserve and even to grow that program because we think the demand uh, for alternatives to the public uh, options for parents uh, is higher than we're able to fulfill. So we're gonna be making that case uh, to the the General Assembly in the next session. Uh, We think that's true not only for Baltimore schools, but for schools across the state. Absolutely. Um, as these as these data have come out, we know uh, that the, even the good public schools in the good parts of the state are not as good as we think, and so we think uh, giving parents increased options to choose the education that best suits mm-hmm. the needs of their particular child uh, is a big part of the answer to that issue. Uh, we also think that you know I- I- increasing uh, patriotism in schools. Let's talk more about our country, which is what you've done uh, through Little Patriots and so many of the things that uh, American Cornerstone has done. Uh, We'd love to see American Cornerstone products in every Maryland school. Um, And we'd love to have you uh, talking about your books, Dr. Carson, in every uh, school library and public library across the state. Let's talk about that more than we talk about a uh, lawn boy or Heather has two mommies or sexualizing five year olds, which is unfortunately what so many of these schools are focusing on.
3: And we need to focus on our, our real history uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Amen. But uh, an honest appraisal of our history as Americans shows there's a lot more good than there is bad and ugly. And, uh, you know, there are some Amen. entities like 16, 19, and CRT that only seize on the bad and the ugly and try to build everything around that and how incredibly negative that is. But, you know, you guys did a lot of research here. And overall, what research findings were the most alarming and the most encouraging for both of you?
0: I'll take a stab at that, Dr. Carson. The, the, the stat that sort of sticks out to me, I mentioned about how the research Shows problems for the whole state and not just our major urban mm-hmm. areas. Uh, in Gwinnett County, which is the westernmost county in Maryland where Deep Creek Lake is located, a lot of folks go out there during the summer to enjoy the, the beautiful surroundings. Uh, over 25% of 12th graders in Gwinnett County self report that they've had four or more sexual partners. Wow. Stunning. I mean, uh, just well, an amazing seeing, number. What percentage uh, is that? What percentage? Over 25% wow, quarter. of 12th graders in Gwinnett County have, have are self-reporting. So it's probably higher. Right. Self-reporting four or more mm-hmm. sexual partners by wow. the time they reach 12th grade. I mean, it's just it's an amazing uh, statistic that has very negative implications for, uh, for those kids and for the county and for the state as a whole.
3: Wow. And when you consider the things that they're also exposed to on social media and the internet, it's its hard to imagine how they grow up with a normal view of marriage and family. <laughs> it's very hard to understand how they would get that. Yeah. I what tell, about I, you, Doctor? <laughs> well,
4: I've talked to some of my students and told them that if I had 24-hour access to, to the kind of pipeline of nonsense and filth that these people, that, that our kids today have, you know, available on something they're carrying around in their back pocket. I think it would have destroyed me. My heart really goes out to them. And my heart goes out to the parents trying to figure out a way to control this. I mean, yeah. the negative culture has become so pervasive and so intrusive. And it's, you know, it's staggering, really. And, and so my heart goes out, just my way my heart goes out to a lot of these public school teachers who are trying to do a good job. But they're fighting an uphill battle against their culture and against the kind of breakdown and pathology that a lot of the students are coming into that classroom with. They, they too often get the blame. Um, right. and, and maybe they share some of it. But, but really, these, these forces are much, much larger than that. So for me, by the way, the big, the big negative takeaways is poverty, crime, and sex. Because all of them, in fact, then kick off a cycle of pathology that's going to be repeated throughout their lifetime. And make everything else that matters in their life so much more difficult. When you, when you don't yeah. have enough resources, when you're having children out of wedlock, high crime communities drive out employers, they drive out business, they increase the cost of doing business, the cost of prices and goods. Mm-hmm. In everything, these things are cyclical. They, they tend to set off and create cyclical problems that, that, are, that are very difficult. Right. Yeah, it's hard for me to come up with with too many positive (laughs) takeaways. I mean, there was a few areas where we didn't find the correlations to be as robust as maybe we thought they would be. But I I guess that if you look at the counties that are doing well um, and and see the extent to which they are practicing the success sequence in those counties, we can at least say that there are places where this is being done right and they are reaping Mm -hmm. the harvest. And they can serve as a model and as an inspiration for other places. Um, they just need to be willing to step up and say, you know, yes, we're being successful and this is why. And let's help, yeah. let's help the people in Garrett County be as successful. Let's help the people in Somerset County mm-hmm. be as successful. And we need to be willing to own, you know, what it is um, that, that has enabled the success. And um, so there, there are, you know that there there are, there, are, there are large islands in Maryland that are practicing the success sequence, and they are they are reaping the benefits of it. And there's no reason why that can't be exported.
3: Absolutely. Well, you're definitely showing the way you know, I frequently say my worst nightmare would be to wake up and to be 20 years old. Uh, you know, people have always said it's the same now as it always has been. It's not the same. <laughs> and the pressures that these young people are exposed to are ridiculous. And and, and we really need to do all we can to, to help them to see that there are other ways. There are ways that lead to peace and tranquility and happiness and success. And you don't have to just go down the same path as everybody else. but. We'll be right back with uh, with Jeff Trembath and uh, David Ayers from the Maryland Family Institute uh, with some closing remarks. Stay with us.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
3: We're back with common sense, and you've heard a lot of common sense in this conversation today. It does still exist, so be encouraged, and we have to do all we can to spread it around. Now, I want to ask you two, what can individuals do? I mean, we can can read this report, and uh, we can be alarmed, and we can be appraised of what's going on. But, uh, you know, some people say, well, I'm just one individual, and our whole society seems to be going out of tubes. What can individuals do?
0: I would say the first step, Dr. Carson, to that is to realize that we're living in a world that's very different than even 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Uh, This is a world and a culture that is is increasingly taking the fight to us, uh, forcing us to do things that are opposed to our deeply held convictions. You will use the pronouns. You will bake the cake or we'll put you out of business. Mm-hmm. It's a very different atmosphere than it was even 10 or 15 years ago where there was a general sort of live and let live philosophy. So I think the first step is to just realize that we are we are living in a very different culture that's going to require a different response. Mm-hmm. And so what might some of those elements of a different response be? Well, The first is just to educate yourself. What is actually going on in my local community? What's going on in the local school uh, where uh, my neighbor's uh, kids might go? Uh, Do I know what's going on in the school board, in the libraries, what the teachers are talking about? And then what's going on in the state? Um, Every day throughout the session, which will start in uh, January 10th, uh, legislators uh, will be making decisions that will directly affect their lives. And so... Uh, educating themselves about what's going on, and then um, talking with their neighbors, uh, talking with their church members, getting involved as the Lord leads them to get involved, uh, whether that's lobbying themselves, whether it's giving money. Certainly for all of us, it means praying for those in authority at the state level. All those are things that people can do. I would encourage uh, all of your viewers and listeners, Dr. Carson, to go to marylandfamily.org, Uh, to take a look at some of the research that we're putting out there. Sign up to receive updates. We'll be keeping you informed about what we think is important in the upcoming session. Uh, I I think those are some of the things that individual Marylanders can do uh, to make a difference.
3: Amen. And Doctor?
4: Well, you know, it's it's interesting, Dr. Carson, that uh, your show is called Common Sense. I have a lecture on common sense at the beginning of every one of my 101 classes. And what I address is People criticize sociology because if it's done well, it mainly basically is simply defending common sense. And my reply to that is, praise God that it does. And um, I want my gravestone to have etched on it. Here is a man who spent his life defending common sense. (laughs) And of course, (laughs) as we know, common sense reflects reflects created reality. I never have to fear that my data is not going to support what I know to be true in the scriptures. I just don't think about it. I don't worry about it. It's going to happen. Um, I don't yeah. force it either. But I would say there's, at the personal level, we need, to, we need to be there for our neighbors, for our friends, for our families, no matter what. And a, a scripture that has really served as a mantra for me, and, and actually more and more as I, as I see the decline, is speaking the truth in love. First of all, we're coming at people side by side. We are fallen, broken people trying to come alongside other fallen, broken people because we love them, because we care about them, because we honestly want what's best for them. We're not talking down to them. We're not banging down on their heads. Uh, We're not trying to humiliate them. We're not trying to shame them. Uh, We are trying to help them and oftentimes help, just as it was for me when I was first a Christian and coming out of my past, it requires tackling some hard truths and laying some hard paths in front of people, but then we have to be there to, to, to grab them by the elbow and to help them on that path. We just have to. We cannot be seen as arrogant. But to speak the truth, we also have to know it, and we have to educate ourselves. And part of that, which, which groups like the Maryland Family Institute address is, we just don't appreciate to what extent, you know, all politics is local. And we get so caught up in the grand kind of national and international trends that we forget that it's a decision that our school boards, our townships, our state governments are making that that mainly impacts our lives. Almost all crime, for example, is dealt with at the state level. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to educate ourselves. Jeff alluded to this before. This is a long game. I'm not expecting Mm -hmm. to see a lot of results in my lifetime. I mean, I hope I do. And I'll see some. But, but the main thing is, is we're, we're working towards the future and building something. That's my whole logic of my children and my grandchildren. We're building something and we're playing the long game. And we're doing it under the benevolent eye of our God who is not surprised by any of this. He's not shocked by any of this. He's not discouraged by any of this. And he doesn't want us to be either. You know, he wants us to basically be happy warriors understanding that we're we're put we're put into this world and, and it's not going to be easy, but but we really need to engage these things and just be patient. Patient, loving, Amen. and educated.
3: <laughs> well you guys have really made a, a major contribution here, not just to the state of Maryland, but to the United States of America. I want to thank you for being patriots, for caring, for doing careful research and studies that we can rely on. And may God bless you, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. And we will be back with my closing comment in just one minute.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion
3: I enjoyed that discussion about families, about the attacks on families, about what you can do in your own sphere of influence. This is a serious issue because the family is the foundational unit for the society. And if the family falls apart, what's going to happen to our society? We really need to think this through. And I don't want you to think that only two-parent families are successful. You know, I grew up with a one-parent family. My mother was a spectacular individual. She would not accept excuses. I think that was probably the best thing that she ever did. Don't live by excuses. Take responsibility for your own life and for what's going on in your environment. It makes such a big difference. And when Candy and I were raising our sons, we were very careful to make sure that they weren't spoiled because they grew up under very different circumstances than I did. There was, you know, plenty of resources and opportunities. And you would to be careful not to spoil them and make sure they take personal responsibility. And I also knew how important it was to have a father figure around. And I was incredibly busy as a surgeon. And uh, I was also traveling a lot. So I made it a requirement for the places that I went to and travel to include my whole family. So all the kids had frequent flyer cards for every airline. They travel all over the world. My wife and my mother would come as well. There were always six of us. And uh, that was good bonding time and time to pass on values as well. And the point being, no matter what kind of lifestyle you have, you can figure out a way to make it work if you really want to. And I hope you will spend a lot of time thinking about what you can do to strengthen your family and the families around you, Uh, maybe by modeling to them what a solid family looks like. And that's it for this week. And remember to always listen. Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts ready us, review us, tell others about it, or help spread the word, help spread common sense. And remember the four cornerstones, faith, liberty, community, and life. See you next time.